I want to be. I try to be. But I fail so miserably, and of course, when I recognize that I fail, I know where to go. I found an altar one time, and I found somebody that take care of all of my frailties and all of my my indecisions and all of my heartaches and all of my hurts and everything. I found somebody, if I could trust him and would, and all of my sicknesses. I've had a lot of sicknesses in my day. I was not supposed to be here past 50 years old, and I'm 81, headed on 82. I'm still here. You see, doctors don't know whole, <laughs> they just don't know everything. Amen. So, uh, so many things have happened in my life, and I have, I have grown closer to the Lord after each one. I've learned that that it's not always always the devil that's doing these things. God allows it, but He is teaching us some lessons, and He's teaching us on a growth pattern. What does it take to grow? Amen. As long as he hems us in and doesn't let anything happen to us and all of that and treats us like babies, that's all we'll be. It's just babies. But when he takes the hedge away from us and lets things begin to happen and uh, then we've really got to trust him, well, then we start to grow. Amen. So I'm I'm glad I'm a child of God. If you wouldn't mind standing with me and turn with me to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. 25th chapter of St. Matthew, I'll begin reading at the 31st verse. This is part of the Olivet Discourse of of, uh, Jesus. And it's going to tell us some very, very challenging things in the way we live our lives. Matthew 25, Matthew 25, 31, to the end of the chapter. Amen. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Everybody say, I've got it. Okay. Now I'm going to read it. All right. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before, and before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them from one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. How many of you know that everybody that claims to be a child of God is not a sheep? <laughs> Amen. The sheep follow their master's voice. A goat don't. They have to be driven. A sheep... A sheep is, is, is led. A goat has to be driven. All right? I've seen a few sheep and goats in my days of ministry. Okay, enough of that. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came into me. Then shall, he, then shall a righteous answer him, saying, Lord... When saw we thee as hung and hungered and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, unto everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. 
Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Insomuch as you did it not unto one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Father, we thank you tonight for the preservation of your precious word, for the love, Father, that we feel moving from it, and also the challenge and chastisement, Father, that we feel and discern that comes from you. We realize tonight, Father, that our lives are empty without you. Our heart hurts, Lord, except we're in the business of worshiping you, Father, and we feel so, so inadequate unless your Holy Spirit comes. So we pray tonight, Father, that you would anoint the Word of God. I realize it's already anointed, but anoint your messenger and anoint the congregation, Father, that they might hear what you want to speak to them and might they might accept it as the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. It was a very illogical and an impossible thing, the coming of God into the world veiled in human flesh. When we stop to think about a great and a mighty God so concerned about fallen mankind that he looked around and could find no one, the Bible says his own arm brought him salvation, and so he wrapped himself in human flesh, human flesh called Jesus the Christ, and came into this world. It was illogical, and it seemed impossible as far as man was concerned, but nevertheless, God, seeing the heartache, the failures of humanity, decided he need rescue. Aren't you glad that he came and rescued you? Aren't you glad that he saw you where you was living and saw that there was no hope for you at all? But this coming of God in human flesh, the hand of God in the life of the man from Nazareth is more than ancient history. Now we can read it. We can see God from the pages of the Bible, from the start to finish, from Genesis to Revelations, and we can tell that history. But it's more than history. It ought to mean more than history to each and every one of us. We should realize the time came when we needed Brother Jerry a Savior. When we understood that we could not make it by ourselves. We understood that heartache was there and we couldn't handle it. We understood a hurt was there and we couldn't handle that. And we understood that we needed the man from Nazareth. A God of heaven to care about us. And it's more than history because it reaches into the core of our lives today. This coming of God in Christ. And it takes hold sometimes uncomfortably on those of us who are constantly calling on God to solve our problems. And at the same time making up our minds just how he ought to solve them. Amen. How many of you know that? God, I want you to take care of me and I want you to do it. I want my problem solved, Lord, but this is the way I want you to solve my problem. All right? And we're all guilty of that. But Christ, Christ reaches down the very core of our lives and takes hold of something and makes us realize that when we ask him for something, he wants to do it his way. He wants to handle it his way because he knows how to handle our problem. If you know how to handle your problems, you would handle them. But when you come to God and say, here they are, and that's what I ask you to do tonight, is lay them down there, then you have to expect God to do that his own way. And just get out of his way. <laughs> he don't need any help. How many of you know that? We try to help God. Amen. But God doesn't need any help. All right? You just lay it aside. But he dealt a blow against our intellectual pride when he came. 
he dealt a blow to our political arrogance. And he dealt a blow to our modern desire to live our own lives, to go our own way, expecting God to perform to our superior wisdom. In other words, God, here I am. I have a desire to be and live my life. But here's the way that I want you to let me live my life. I want you to let me live my life without any problems, without any heartaches, without any major decisions in it. I want you to let me live an easy life. But following after some of the writings of the Apostle Paul, you find out that a child of God does not always live an easy life especially after we come from babyhood where God wraps us in his loving arms and takes care of us and don't let anything bad happen to us until he wants us to walk and then he leaves us on our own and expects us to walk. Amen. And then after we walk and fall down, there is Father God there, pick us up, take care of our scrapes and all of these and sets us on our feet and says, walk again. How many of you ever experienced that when you start to walk on your own and you fall down, God comes along and he lifts us up and says, now then, you can make it. He still does that to me and says, you can do it. And you can do it because I'm going to help you. I've never in all of these 54 years got beyond the need for the help of my master. I need him now worse than I've ever needed him in my life. I depend on him now more than I've ever depended on him in my entire life. And I love him because he knows how much I need him. Hallelujah. I love him tonight with all of my heart, with all of my spirit, with all of my soul, and with all of my body because he came to redeem me. Or do you get tired of hearing that he came to redeem me? Well, you should never get tired of that. It all begins at the cross. Amen. It started at the cross. And if we, we need the cross of God every day. And this fact becomes very clear in the words that Paul wrote to the Philippians. You, you read that book. I mean, pick it up and read it. Paul was, his, was at his best when he wrote the book of Philippians. And he gives a series of admonitions that challenge the core of our right to live our lives alone. All right? He tells us that we must live our life for him alone. Amen. Now, that's hard for us to swallow, isn't it? Especially in the church world today where we are so prone to live our lives according to the way we want to live. The world hardly knows anything about sacrifice anymore. Church people don't know much about sacrifice anymore. We're, we're, we're building on a social gospel, which just lets you know that God is love and nothing else matters, and He is love. But yet, by the same token, He wants us to live our life for Him. Now, we miss a lot of prayer opportunities and opportunities of witnessing when we live our life for ourselves. You wonder why the church houses are empty? Because we live our life for ourselves. You remember why you see why the churches are not prospering with truth? It's because we are so busy doing our own things that it takes us away from our prayer closet. Which in the prayer closet changes things. How many want things changed? Now both of our presidential candidates say they're going to change things. Well, you want my input on that? It's going to remain just the same. Amen. Because they say they're going to change things, but it just remains the same it over and over and over because... They're too busy taking care of themselves. And the majority of church people that I know of, that I talk to, say they want things to change. Amen. Now, you know, if you want things to change, you have to be changeable. Amen. 
nothing's going to change unless you allow it to be changed in your life. How many of you know God's not to get you down and rub your old head and say you're going to change? He just looks at you and says, you want change? I will change you. Come on. You want to be changed? I'll change you. You want your life to be changed? I'll change it. You want your prayer life to be changed? I'll change it. Whatever you want changed, I'll change it. But I have to have your consent. I'm not going to encroach upon your rights as a human being. I'm going to ask you, do you want change? And God is going to say, I'll deliver that change to you. So Christ is demanding that we have no right to live our lives for ourselves. He asked that of me. I'm surprised he don't ask that of you. Amen? Because you just go right ahead living your own life, doing your own thing, and missing out on some of the greatest privileges prayer life there is. And then wonder, what's the matter with your children and your grandchildren and all of these things? It's because we have forgotten the intercessory closet of prayer. We can't find our way there anymore. Amen? Because we're too busy enjoying our own ways of life. Now, God don't care if you have fun, but not on His time. Amen? You know that. I mean, you go to work and they don't care if you have fun, but not on their time. You have fun after so you get off the job. I got news for you. You don't hardly ever get off your job with God. Amen. And what God is asking out of us is to have fun on your time. Oh, I felt that smack me back in the face. Dear God, help us. Come on, saints. I'm telling you a truth. I'm speaking a truth to you. You see, it says, Philippians says, we must live out our life as Christ lived his. You read the Bible. Here, pick this up and read it and see if you can find any way else that Christ asked us to be. Okay? He asked us to live his, our life as he lived his, ready, if need be, to suffer or to empty ourselves, be obedient to God, and if necessary, even die. It's in here. It's in the Word of God. And that's what he's asking out of us growing quote-unquote Christians. is asking us, are we willing to give our life? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean die. That just means crucify yourself and a life lived for Christ. See, he don't want you dead because you're not any good to him dead. He wants you alive but crucified. Amen? Crucified with him. All right? But are we crucified? There isn't, if anything at all, a less comfort for our lives in our own terms. You see, there's not much comfort to me when I try to meet God on my own terms. And this is what happened, and this is the reason. I know you're wondering if, if I'm going to get around to the, to the Scripture I read, but I'm going to get there. You see, it takes me a little while because I'm old. Amen. I have, I have to go around the bush a little bit, and I have to say the same thing over and over again because you don't hear good. Amen. <laughs> you know, I don't want you to miss anything that I'm saying, and so I just keep saying the same thing over and over until a light bulb comes on. Brother Ray, I see a light bulb there. Amen. Okay, some of the rest of you is pretty dim. I don't see much of a light on some of you, but but by the same token, I, I, I expect that you got a little bit of it. It looks like a night light to some of you. Amen. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is these words that were spoken that I read to you from the Master's lips hit our hearts or should with a stunning impact when he said, Depart from me, ye cursed, 
Why did he say those words? What he said them for was this. There was a world around you that you ignored. While you lived your selfish way of life. People died that could have been salvaged had you prayed. People are scattered to and fro, uh, would not have to been had you witnessed, had you recognized who God was and what he was. Why was they cursed? Did they fail to dream a, a very grand dream? No, sir, they didn't do that. Did they fail to set their sights upon the impossibilities and the mountains thereof? No, they didn't do that. They failed because they failed to give someone that was thirsty a drink, somebody that was hungry a meal, somebody that was lonely a visit, somebody that was naked clothing, and this is spiritually and naturally. There are individuals out here that needs something to drink. And the Bible says there is coming up from us fountains, wells of living water that should slake a thirsty soul. And so many times it's so subdued by the things that we seek after that souls are thirsty right in the midst of Holy Ghost-filled individuals. Can you say amen to that? And they need a drink. They need to know what this well is that springs up within us. And we need to have that well springing up kind of like Moses when, when he struck the rock. The Bible says, waters gushed out. It wasn't a trickle that came out. Waters gushed out and run down to the mountainside. And what we need with the power of the Holy Ghost is to let the power of God gush out from us to cover our world and the sin surrounding us. They need a drink. They need food, spiritual food. They need the Word of God. Are, are, are you up enough on the Bible to feed somebody the Word of God? Are we so so? impacted by our own lives that we can't reach out and touch somebody else with the Word of God. Somebody that is spiritually lonely. Sometimes we don't have to preach a message to them. Mm -mm. What people need more than anything else is spirit-filled individuals that just comes down and lays hand on them. And if the Holy Ghost flows like it ought to flow, they're going to know that they don't have to be lonely anymore. Hallelujah. They're going to have to know that they have a friend and his name is Jesus. Amen. And they can be touched by the feeling, can be touched by the feelings of his infirmities. And naked. I know there's people naturally naked in our world, I know that. But how many of you know that there are people spiritually naked in our lives, surrounding us, in our churches, our neighbors, our friends? They're naturally naked without good clothes. But there's places to get good clothes. We have Salvation Army and all those places. If you need clothes, there's places to give them to you. But there's not very many spiritual salvation armies in our world today. Amen. That is the job left to the church where we can show them what it's like to put on the righteousness of Christ Jesus and know what it's like to be clothed with His holiness. Thank God for your precious clothes that you have given us where we can robe ourselves in your righteousness and walk among individuals. You see, that's where they fail. And when they fail there, they fail Jesus. And when we fail there, 
We failed Jesus. Now, I don't like it when I fail my master. I've never got used to it. And I pray I never do. I don't like it when I know that I've been a failure to him. I don't like it when I know that I've failed to be the type of individual that I need to be. I, I don't like it, and I won't live that way. When I know I have failed, I know where to go. Amen. I know where an altar is. I have to make my own. I make it. Amen. And they failed Jesus, who by his very life proved that those were the individuals that he cared about. Jesus has never got over the lonely, those that are filled with heartaches, debris of all types in their spirit and heart, those that were naked and knew not how to be clothed by the glory of God, and those that were hungry and didn't know anything about the bread of life that came down from heaven, and those that were thirsty that knew nothing about the water from the rock that slaves that slays the, the, uh, the thirst. That was the type Jesus cared about. Those that were sick and those that were afflicted and those that needed prayer and those that needed caring and their world filled with those out there saints that are out there while we come and enjoy the goodness of God and gather together and enjoy the friendship of one another. There are souls out there, my friend, that are dying because they need somebody and the church is the only thing that can fill that void in their lives. We have a job. And I think most of the part we're failing, that is the heart of the gospel. Let me say that again. That's the heart of the gospel. Creeds are necessary. Doctrines are very useful and important. Confessions are necessary. Worship is essential. But first and foremost is to live as Christ lived, is to think as Christ thinks, is to act as Christ acted, is to walk as Christ walked, and to talk as Christ walked. That's the first and foremost heart of the gospel. I have to ask us, are we doing that? And it got quiet on here. It gets quiet sometimes when we don't shout in what we have, don't it? Amen. And it's good to shout in what you got. I've noticed, especially in Pentecostal circles, it gets awful quiet when we start speaking about something you don't have and are not doing. It's awfully quiet. Amen. But that's all right. I'm not used to a lot of noise. <laughs> amen. Amen. I, 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 I have learned to get along without your amens. And I've learned to just dismiss your cold stares. <laughs> And that blank expression that you get on your face sometimes. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'd like to laugh at you, but I don't want to. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. I know you're listening. But what is they say? Change? 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 God, I'm doing good. You know. Why, bless God, I have the Holy Ghost for 40 years. And we haven't done anything with it. I think the old saying is, does the Holy Ghost have you? Amen. Now, for us that wants to set our own goals, take our own risk, and live by general morality, the coming of Christ into this world is a very nerve-wracking experience. Yes, it is. Because he is incredibly specific and won't let us live in generalities. You ever notice when you read, read the Bible, uh, he doesn't talk in general terms. He talks in specifics. 
He don't say, well, you know, if this comes around, maybe it will apply. No, sir, he is specific about what will apply to our lives. The Apostle Paul in his writings is always very specific on what God says for him to be and do. And the Word of God is just that specific. Because God don't want us living in generalities. Amen? But He doesn't even stop there. He doesn't stop at wrecking our intellectual pretensions. God just wrecks them and, and He just goes on. You know, and whenever He takes something away from us, or we expect Him to come and pat us on the back, but He just leaves us lay there. How many of you know that? He slaps us down with, with specifics and, and uh, then he just leaves us lay there until we decide to get up and do something about it. And he lets us know that our political dreams are very, very unnatural as far as the Word of God is concerned. And he is very, very specific on how he wants us to live. All right? He demands us to live in the world about us as he lived in. How many of you know that? Wave your hand. Amen? He wants us to live in this world as he lived in the world. Oh, but he was God. No, he was man too. And he walked his man. And he had... Uh, he was indwelled by the mighty God of heaven. But you're a man. You've been cleansed for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have his precious spirit inside of you that lets you know how to walk and how to talk and how to do. Our problem is that we don't have the strength. The, we don't have the willpower. My father used to always tell me, you've got to have the willing. You're never going to get any place, son, if you don't have the willing. Okay? You have to have the willpower to use what you've got. God didn't make any dummies. If we're dummies, we made ourselves dummies. All right? He didn't make any that way. He gave us a brain. He wanted us to exercise that brain until we come to the potential of it. Somebody says we just use one-tenth of all the brain power that God gave us. I feel bad about that. I don't know about you, but I feel bad about that. I thought surely I used more than that. But that is what he gave me. Amen. You can be the smartest individual in books you want to be, and be completely dumb about what God has for you and what God has to do. You see, God committed through Christ himself. He wants, do I want to use this word? He wants commitment. Is that a strange word? He wants, Brother Rocky, commitment. He wants us to look at him and say, God, I commit myself to you all the time. Every hour, every portion of the hour. I don't want to miss a time, Lord. I'm committed to you. You bought me. You paid for me. I belong to you. Everything about me is yours. I'm committed to you. Because God lived as man and he expects us to do the very same thing. Too hard? No, sir. Not too hard at all. Okay. He don't want us to live as, as eternal beings above the change of time, but he wants us to live as he did, pure and spotless in the midst of a wicked world. Is that too much for God to ask of us? That we would remain spotless and pure and holy in the midst of a troubled, dying world? No, sir. We're all he has. 
I said, we are all God has. There's no rep representation of God any place else, only in the household of faith. It is our responsibility, Brother Ronnie, to live in a, in a world that is impure with the purity of Christ. Because he thought enough of us, Sister Henrietta, to call us out, redeem us by his precious blood, Brother Bender, and, and, and cleaned us up, amen, and made us holy enough to go in his sight, and then decided that we needed him, and he placed a presence of a living God inside of us, and said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Live pure in an impure world. Understand, Brother Jerry, that the only pure thing about you is what dwells within you. Adam nature, no good. Amen. No good. Amen. Jerry said to himself one time, why don't you get a stupid grin off your face? You just have to say, God put that stupid grin on my face, and I got something to grin about. Amen. Hallelujah. I got a lot to grin about. In fact, I laugh out loud sometimes at the goodness of God is to me and touches my life. I don't deserve it. I never do. But there's another reason why the knowledge of the presence of a living Christ in this world makes us very nervous and makes us very upset. It's because of this one factor we always have to remember that no matter what we do and no matter what we say, not what somebody else is going to think or say, but we always have to be aware of what does Christ think about us. And sometimes we do worry a little bit, don't we, about other people think. They don't like me. That's tough. That's their problem, isn't it? That's not our problem. That's their problem. Amen. It becomes your problem when you decide you don't like them either. <laughs> That's when it becomes your problem. Amen. God tells us we just can't be that way. Amen. Now, I realize that that uh, my wife and I have told our kids sometimes that, you know, there's just sometimes we don't like them. I told my kids one time, I'm going to divorce them. I'm sick and tired of them, and I'm going to divorce them. All right, but I always love them. Amen. I don't care what individuals do to you. I don't care what individuals say about you. I don't care about their reaction to you. What you should care about more than anything else is the love of God and don't allow their bitterness to turn you bitter. Stay with God. Be pure with God and holy with God and live as Christ would live and talk as Christ would talk and walk as He would walk. Amen? You see, no matter what we say or do, we need to be aware of not what I think about you. What does God think about your reactions? Come on, saints. What does God think about what we think about somebody else? And we speak too much just off the cuff and say too much when we ought to just keep our mouths shut. Amen. There is times when we ought to just keep our mouths shut. And if He's going to do anything, open it up and start praising God for the privilege of knowing Him and walking with Him and doing the things He desires out of us. You see, God was not content to just sit 
and ponder our perfections. He was a God of action. Now, if he is a God of action and he dwells in, in us, what's that tell you? Huh? Right? He wants us to be individuals of action. Okay? Sometimes God just doesn't act like God should act. Amen. The Jews thought that. Amen. And some of us as Christians think that. That he just doesn't act like God ought to act. You got an idea of how you ought to work out your problems and he doesn't do it. And he isn't acting like God ought to act. Amen. Back to business is you kind of get it, get it in with somebody and you want God to zap them. And he don't do it. And he's not acting like God ought to act. Amen? Okay. Now, now then, what kind of a God is it, now think about this, that goes and gets himself mixed up with a life of a peasant when he should be surrounding himself with royalty? What kind of a God is this? That goes out there and 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 uh, meets with peasants and, and 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 forgives a harlot. Amen. And, and, and loves the dirty and the unclean when he ought to be consorting with royalty. What kind of God is it that does that? You had it. He's a God of love. He's a God, for God so loved, isn't that a good scripture? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's anybody. Amen. And then he turns around and he gets himself crucified. Instead of making himself king. What kind of God is that? Don't you know that religion and politics don't mix? Does God not know that? Don't he understand that religion is for the righteous and for Sunday morning Christians? Don't God know that? Don't he know that, uh, that religion is for respectable and uh, people in respectable clothing? Don't he know that it's for people sitting in a respective building, hearing respectable words of comfort, soothing, and wisdom? Doesn't God know that? Evidently, he don't. Because the scripture I read to you, he thinks that religion is something to do with the cold and the weary and the hungry and the miserable and the morally broken and the unsure and on and on you could go. He thinks that's what religion is. Now, this is not religion here. We're coming here to get food for the soul. We're coming here to worship and fellowship with one another and be strengthened with one another. That's what we're here for. But our battleground is out there. Our workplace is out there. Our laboratory is out there. Does God know that? You see, what God thinks religion is it has something to do with everyday life that's religion it has something to do with how you're going to live your life tomorrow not how you lived it in church we dress up and that's good I mean if you got something to dress in you go into the king's house you put on your best nothing wrong with that but if somebody was coming here dirty and ragged, that just simply means God sent them in here and he wants them cleaned up. I mean, not naturally, but spiritually. If you clean them up spiritually, they'll clean themselves up naturally. Amen. They always do that. We don't have to worry about it. Amen. You don't clean a fish before you catch it, do you? Huh? I don't, I'm not much of a fisherman. I have to ask these guys, Brother Ronnie, Brother Ray, 
Brother Tom, do you clean fish before you catch them? You never did. Well, why do we insist on on doing that with with people that we bring in? We want to clean them up before we got the hook in their jaw. Get the hook in their jaw. I mean, just let them know the purity of God. You see, he thinks that everything is everyday life. And it's so unavoidable. Gone is the chance for us to relegate God to heaven. <laughs> oh, he's a God up in heaven. Now he fills the universe. There's not one place God isn't. Amen. He'll tell you that. The Bible tells you that. That he fills the whole universe. Somebody said, well, I, I brought God with me. No, you didn't. He was here all the time. He fills this building all the time, even before you get here. Because He's God. He fills all outer space, all inner space, pardon me. He does all of that. So we can't relegate God to be the old man up there. When He's God down here, and when He's living inside here, we can't limit our religion to some holy and secluded spot like coming to church are going to the sanctuary of our own home, and there we feel the good things of God there. You see, God has broken into time, and time will never be the same. When God came down and entered in and veiled Himself in human flesh and came down here to live like us, time has never been the same. Because he has changed it all. God himself has become man, had become man, understands man, demands that man walk as he walked. You see, there's no way that we can slip away from these words which Christ penetrates into our hearts. There's no way that we can come, enjoy the blessings of God and the goodness of God, and then not go out in the world and live it and get away with it. God penetrates our heart with the fact that He wants us to live as He lived. I'm going to say it again. We're the only representation God has got in this world. Amen. I know we wouldn't choose it that way but that's the way it is we would prefer probably some intellectual uh, solutions where we can have all the facts laid out before us we can ponder them in all their complexities and all their implications before we decide or before we commit ourselves to some course of action or our committed way of life I said my big problem was that when I look and I see that Abraham was told to get out of the land and God would tell him where to go. And Abraham did. He always told my wife, well, that's not me. Because, you see, I've always, all my life, I've always, when making decisions, I've always looked at the complexities of it all and the implications that might surround the complexities before I decide and before I commit myself to some course of action. I was taught that as a child. I had lived that way until I met the Master.
Amen. And I think he had it in for me. I do. I think he knew this is the way it always lived. Ask my wife. Sit down and think it out, Hoskall. Don't you make a rash decision before you know what it's going to entail. That came from my father. That wasn't a religious part of it, but that came from the natural part of it. And be sure you know where you're going before you leave to go there. Okay? Now, I suppose I'm the only one that ever thought those things and ever looked around and decided i got to figure this thing out. Amen? And I told my wife, this is not me. I can't do that. You see, I want to know when I'm leaving. I want to know how long it's going to take me to get there. I want to know what I'm going to do when I get there. I want to know how long I'm going to be there. I want to know when I can come back. Amen? That was me. Until the Lord got a hold of me. And that's what I said. I think he had it in for me. I think he knew what I thought. And when I said, I'm not an Abraham, God. You know I'm not an Abraham, God. I don't want to do these things. Go, host cloth. And then I try to put it off my wife, on my wife. You think we ought to go? <laughs> you think we ought to do this? Whatever you say, honey, that's what we'll do. And God wasn't talking to her. He was talking to me. And so finally, I come to the conclusion that God knew where I was going. And God knew how long it's going to take me to get there. And God knew what I was going to do when I got there. And God knew how long I was going to be there. And God knew when I could come back. And so I surrendered to God's will. I'm going to tell you something. It still is not easy. If any of you have ever got past Granite City, and anybody, anybody here has ever been asked to leave your, your church where you have grown it from a little baby and had it filled and then God comes along and says I'm done with you here buddy I want you to go but God what are they going to do without me <laughs> isn't that an ego problem for you because <laughs> I'm the only one that has ego problems here in this church what, what are they going to do without me God says, I think they can make it. I'll still be here. <laughs> and so he just says, go. And so we go. And we're not through going yet. And I'd be afraid not to go. Amen? If I had my way about it, and I love you all people, I really do. But if I had my way... I'd fill up my automobile and my trailer, and I'd go home, and I'd stay there. How, how's that? Amen? That's what I'd do if it was me, and I know some of you wish I would, but that's beside the point. You better talk to God about that. All right? But I know what I know what I know. Okay? Not the smartest man in the world, but I know God is, so I follow after Him. So I don't consider the complexity of it. I don't consider the implications. I, I don't consider uh, and, and all of this because I realize this, that God cannot be pondered and mastered. He can only be worshipped and followed. Amen. Now, I know a lot of people that have missed God because God has asked them to do something 
need to say this. But they were so comfortable where they were at that they wouldn't leave. Oh, yeah, you can get that way. God, I ain't going. That doesn't mean that you're sin. Uh, all of that, that just means you, you have dwarfed your life. I'm going to get done in a minute. Hang on. Okay. You see, the gospel makes specific demands on us. It asks us to move before we are in command of the situation. And that's where we flunk our test. Amen. Because God is asking sometimes for us to move from our comfort zone into someplace else before we figure out what He's going to ask out of us. And God is just asking us to go because He is command of the situation. It demands that we act before we have taken control of the unknown facts that's out there. It demands, in short, that we follow God and not lead God. God would have us live our faith, not sheltered, but exposed. You see, a lot of us live our faith in the comforts of our own comfort zone. We don't need faith because everything is there. So we're not really living our faith. God wants us to live our faith, not protected in some uh, shadowed corner, but in the light of day, in a full, full view of the world around us, is where we live our faith. So the world can see how we believe, why we believe, and the way we believe. He calls on us to serve Him in the place that we know best, in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our joys, in the midst of our defeat, and in the midst of our victories. Live your life for Him in the midst of all of those and come out victorious over everything. There in the noise of traffic, live your life. Don't honk at that guy that's in front of you because he's, dear God, because he's not moving when he ought to. My father-in-law, bless his heart, he wasn't a Christian, but he sure knew how to do a lot of things. He pulled up in a line of traffic, and before anything could move, there's somebody behind him blowing his blowing their horn. And my father would my father in law would put his car in park and get out and go back there and, and greet that fellow. Said, I guess you must know me <laughs> because you're honking at me and and here is that line of traffic and that guy is in worse shape than he ever was. I wouldn't dare do that, but he did. Okay. And there in the midst of traffic and the chaos of business, that's where the boldness of Christian faith belongs. Out there, where God become man. Out there in the midst of our life, filled with confusion, heartache. There are the maddening crowds of everyday life. Out there, where mankind needs help. Out there where the life of Christ needs to be lived. Out there where those that are naked need to clean clothes. Out there where those that are hungry need to be fed. Out there that those that are sick needs to touch of the Master's hand on their life. Out there in the world where the world needs us. That's where our faith shines the brightest and out there sounds the words of Jesus Christ in so much as you have done it to the least of these my brethren you have done it unto me that my friend regardless of everything else we've ever heard and know that's the heart of the gospel
That's what Jesus left us and challenged us with and said, if you want a reward, then you pay attention to those type of folk. You come into the house of God and you love your brothers and you love your sisters and you sang the songs of Zion and you feel a close fellowship one with another and you hear the word of God and you practice the power of God in your life. But when you go out there, there's where the world is and that's where Christ went with the gospel. And he challenges us that if you're not aware of this, he said it, I didn't. You're cursed. Because you didn't know where I was. You didn't know that you didn't visit me. You didn't know that I was naked. You didn't know that I was hungry. You didn't know I was in prison. Because you're too busy enjoying your own sheltered life. You didn't know that. And God has no alternative only to curse that type of a life. We need to know, saints, where Jesus went when he walked the shores of Galilee, don't we? We need to know who he was concerned about. He didn't care about the religiosity of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't care about the Sanhedrin and all their pomp and all their glory. He didn't care about the proud and the rich man. He didn't care about the so-called Christians of that day because they'd forgotten the reason they were here. That's why the temple was closed. That's why God dismissed all of this other stuff because they'd forgotten who they were and what, what they were to represent. He wasn't concerned about them. He was concerned about the lost and about the dying and the sick and the hungry and the blind and the naked. Follow his life. Follow his footprints in the sand. Follow them and live and walk as he walked as man you'll find out what the gospel really is and what the heart of the gospel really is. You see, it'll bring us out of our sheltered life. It'll bring us out of seeking for satisfaction and joy in our own life. It'll bring us out of all these petty little things that don't mean anything, that robs individuals of a spiritual life and haunts us. It'll bring us out of that. And we'll be so busy. Sister Henrietta said, coming in, I saw a soul born into the kingdom of God today. I saw a soul. It'll bring us out of all of this. It'll make us want to see a soul. You see, I said I was going to quit, and I am one of these times. You see, what happens when a baby is born? It gets our mind off of us onto the baby. And that's what's wrong with a church that don't birth children. That's why we argue and fuss and fight. It's because we've got our mind on us. We need a baby, saints. Let me say it. We need a baby. We need babies. We need somebody that will take our mind off of us and off our problems and our mind on that little babe that needs to grow up to be a child of the King. Hallelujah. We need that in our assemblies. And God wants us to have it. But you know what it takes to have a baby. The woman must receive the seed of the man. You know what it takes to have a baby? Spiritually speaking, 
the woman, which is the church, must receive the seed from God, which is the word of God, and become impregnated with that word and bring that child up in the nurture of a good mother. Amen? A good mother. And when you see this happening, the mother takes, if she's a good mother, she'll take care of herself so that she'll bring forth a good, healthy child. But number one, the Word of God. And if you will do that, you'll become with child. But first, you see, we got, dear God, let me shut up. First, we got to be better than a lot of the mothers. See, what we're doing now is children are having children. And when the church is childish, and you bring up a child and you have a child, and you're still childish, you won't know how to take care of it. You won't know how to take care of a baby because you're still a baby yourself. And that's why God wants us to grow up. He don't want us to be a... He don't, he's not coming for a child bride. Amen? He's coming from a mature church. And He wants us to bring as many children with us as we can. Would you like to bear a child? The silence.